Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to this week's episode of the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick. This week's guest is JJ Reddick. Yes, that's right, myself. We'll be doing a Q&A style podcast. The questions from this week all come from Twitter. I'll be touching on a lot of different topics, including what's better, Chick-fil-A or In-N-Out. Chick-fil-A, definitely over In-N-Out. I happen to love Chick-fil-A. It's one of my vices. I'm going to say In-N-Out's a little overrated, maybe a lot overrated. We've got a lot of good stuff for you today. Let's jump right into the Q&A. All right, welcome to this week's episode of the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick. Uh, this week, we're going to do something a little different. You know, about 40 episodes ago when I started this podcast, I didn't really know what the format was going to be. I didn't necessarily think that every single episode I was going to sit down or talk to a guest for, you know, 45 minutes or an hour, but that's what the show sort of become. And we've had some great guests both at the beginning of the show and recently. I feel really just grateful for for all of our guests. Uh, But this is something that I've wanted to do for a few months now, actually. And I've wanted to just do an episode where I let you, the listeners, ask me questions. And so uh, last week on Twitter, I posed just an open-ended hashtag AskJJ, and you guys could ask me whatever you wanted, and I was going to answer them on the podcast. So this episode is going to be essentially a QA. and a one of the most frequent questions that I got on Twitter was about shoe contracts and specifically uh, my shoe contract. So I have worn Nike basketball shoes since I was about 14 years old. I started playing for Boo Williams AAU this summer after my freshman year in high school. And at the time, and I don't know if they still are, but at the time they were they were a Nike AAU team. So we all got free Nike gear and free Nike shoes. Then in high school, my team always wore Nike. Then I got to Duke and Duke was a Nike school. So I wore Nikes at Duke and I've been in the league 10 years and I've been very fortunate to have uh, a contract with Nike every year to wear Nikes. And this summer, my latest three-year deal with Nike was up and um, I, you know, I kind of wanted to explore other options. And so I will be wearing Adidas this year, which is a big change for me. You know, two things I, I want to just say about the, the the shoe contracts and just, you know, shoes in general. I, I'm the middle of five kids. And so growing up, I would always get my older sister's hand-me-downs for basketball shoes and, and for, you know, by and large, school shoes. So in sixth grade, um, there was this awesome pair of Nikes that all the kids in school were wearing. And I really wanted them. And I asked my mom for them. She said, no, um, but it's time you get your own shoe. You know, you're wearing your sister's Converse from last basketball season. So, you know, you can go get your own shoe. So my dad took me to the mall that Saturday. And we went to Foot Action, I believe. And he told me, he said, you could get any shoe you want, but it's got to be under $40. So there was a pair of forest green Adidas 
uh, like trainers on sale for $35 and they had them in my size. I'm not going to lie. They were the ugliest shoes you've ever seen, but I was super excited to get my own pair of shoes. And I also thought they were pretty rad at the time. So I got those four screen shoes. I warmed to school on Monday. I was the happiest kid at school on Monday. This was like sixth grade, I think. So um, it was like my first pair of, of name brand shoes that were my own that I got to break in myself. Pretty big deal for me. If you fast forward now, uh, you know, to, to when I was in, in college and, and of course, as an NBA player, like being able to get free shoes and free gear, not only for myself, but for my family is like surreal. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying this to brag or anything. It's just, it, it is surreal. And sometimes, you know, I, I have to remember back to that story about the forest green Adidas. And I think it's always good to have that perspective and, and gratefulness and all that. But this past week, Adidas sent me some trainers and some sort of off the court sneakers to wear. And I was going through the box and there was this one pair that, that looked eerily similar in style, not necessarily in color, but eerily similar to the forest green Adidas that I bought when I was in sixth grade. And it reminded me of that story. And it also reminded me to be super grateful. I I don't necessarily look at like my contracts in the past with Nike or my contract with Adidas, like in terms of monetary value. I mean, certainly it's nice to be paid to wear shoes. I get that. But For me, I really just want to find like a comfortable shoe and uh, to have gear and just to be able to not worry about that. Because as an athlete, we train year round. We are we always need something for our feet and for our body. And so I I try not to worry about sort of the money side of it. The other thing I don't really worry about, and this is the second thing I wanted to talk about with the shoe contract, is like I never worry about what shoe I'm wearing in the sense that if another guy's signature shoe is the most comfortable shoe then I'm going to wear that. And if he's not on my team, I'm okay with that. Um, This year, I've really liked wearing Damian Lillard's signature shoe. Obviously, Damian Lillard plays for the Portland Trailblazers. He's a rival. His team beat us last year in the playoffs. But when I put the Damian Lillard's on, I'm not thinking to myself, oh, I'm wearing Damian Lillard's shoe or I can't believe I'm I'm just saying like oh these are the these are really comfortable Adidas sneakers that I'm putting on. When I was in Orlando and LeBron signed with Miami, I wore LeBron's for I think two the, the last two years I was in Orlando. Like it's not th- that's not really even even on my radar like what shoes are whose and should I be wearing I I just want to wear something that's comfortable and that's going to get me through the game. I think that makes sense. I mean Paul Pierce did rag me a little bit in the locker room when he found out that I was wearing Damian Lillard's. But again, it's, I, it's not something I think about. I'm just like, I'm going to go out and hoop in these shoes because they're, they're super comfortable. All right, well, this, another frequently asked question on Twitter and uh, that I've gotten a little bit from media members during the preseason is just the idea of like a shooting slump in preseason or not shooting the ball well in preseason. I think one really smart Twitter user on the, the hashtag AskJJ asked me, uh, I got a question, where did your shot go? Just hilarious. And, you know, I, I told, I think it was Brad Turner from, from the LA Times asked me about my, my shooting. And he had asked me, we had at the time played three preseason games. I had played in two of them. 
And, um, and I believe I'd taken 15 shots up to that point. But, you know, I always look at sort of obviously like sample size. And so I think two years ago, I got off to a brutal start shooting the ball. I remember one year in Orlando, I think I started my fifth year in Orlando. I started the season shooting three for 25 from three. Uh, I think I ended up shooting 40% from three that year. You know, I, I didn't shoot particularly well in the first four preseason games that I played in. I guess three of those games, I didn't, I didn't have great shooting games. So I, it's not something that I ever worry about. And I, let me tell you why. Number one is sample size. Because during the course of a season, I don't know the exact totals, but we play 80 games. I take 10 to 12 shots a game. So that's roughly 800 to 1,000 shots a season. So I would never really get worked up over like a two for 10 performance. Cause again, that's 10 shots. That's a very small sample. I wouldn't necessarily even get worked up over, you know, two bad games where you go two for 10 and four for 11. Uh, okay. That's, you know, six for 21. That's not great percentages again, but I always believe that if you do your work, meaning if you prepare and you take your extra shots and you do your routine um, and you shoot the shots in a game that you practice, that eventually those shots will go in. You know, I, I think it was Ray Allen uh, years ago. I was trying to figure out sort of what my routine was going to be. And I read something that Ray Allen said. Um, he said, you know, whether I'm in a shooting slump or I'm shooting the ball great and, you know, everybody on the outside says, oh, he's not making shots right now or, oh, he's unconscious and he can't miss, the routine, my routine doesn't change. And the reason he said that was because he said, if the routine doesn't change, then you can't blame the routine. In other words, as a, as a shooter, like you're, you're, you're constantly thinking and, and unfortunately you are, but you know, you're, you're thinking about shots. You're thinking about how do I get shots? How do I get myself open? And then in a split second, you shoot the ball and then you're, you know, kind of contemplating, well, I made it or I missed it. And then you, you know, sort of acknowledging what went right or what went wrong. And so there's a lot going on in a course of a game shooting a basketball. If you're not thinking, you're doing it instinctually because you've prepared and you've done it again and again, then typically you you have a higher success rate. So for me, my confidence and sort of my instinctual ability to shoot the basketball comes from hours and hours of preparation and hours and hours of the same routine that I do over and over. So for me, you know, my routine before a preseason game is the same as my routine before a regular season game. And it's the same as my routine before a playoff game. I'm not going to change anything in my preparation um, because, again, I've, I've built this up over years and years and years and hours and hours and hours of doing it over and over again. And my confidence as a shooter stems from that work and that preparation. So even if I do have a shooting slump, I always have my routine and my preparation to fall back on. And I know that Eventually, I'll break out of it. At least I hope so. You're listening to the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick. It's the MMQB Podcast with Peter King. This is about five years ago. There we are at dinner. Donald Trump is telling one of his million stories about his beautiful acreage and his golf course and all his business. And right behind me and my wife and everybody else, some six foot four brunette walks in the room <laughs> and he goes, Wow, stops telling the story. She's beautiful. We all looked at her, then looked back at him. He finished his story. <laughs> For the rest of this conversation with Rich Eisen, please search the MMQB podcast with Peter King to listen and subscribe.
All right, we're going to get back to this Q&A in just a second. But first, I need to ask you guys a quick question. How would you like to get three home-cooked meals for free? Well, all you have to do is remember these two letters, JJ. That's easy enough, right? Now keep listening, and I'll tell you how to get those free meals. Look, we all know there's nothing better than a great home-cooked meal, and no one makes it easier for you to do that than Blue Apron. Their mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. Blue Apron knows that when you cook with incredible ingredients, you make incredible meals. So they set the highest quality standards for their suppliers and only bring you the best ingredients, all right to your door. Even better, each meal comes with a step-by-step, easy-to-follow recipe card and pre-portioned ingredients and can be prepared in 40 minutes or less. Now comes that part about the three free meals I was telling you about. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash JJ. Think about it. That's three meals free just by adding in my name. Once again, that's blueapron.com slash JJ. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. All right, let's get back to this Q&A. Another question that I got a few times, this would be sort of the last sort of vague question and answer and then I'll get into more specifics. I might even name a few people uh, specifically by their their screen name as I go through some more specific questions. But another kind of frequent question I got asked about was free agency and sort of being a free agent this year. It's the last year of my contract with the Clippers and and kind of what goes into that. You know, my my first thing with free agency is a lesson that I learned uh, my second year in the NBA. And that lesson was to never assume. So as a free agent, I would never assume that next summer I'm going to assign a new contract. You know, I'm healthy right now. I feel good. My game's been at a a good level, but I would never assume that that's just going to happen. My rookie year, I played in, I believe, 42 games and played about 14 minutes a night. Uh, We changed coaches that summer. I had a really good summer league um, with Stan and his staff. And then going into training camp at the beginning of my second year, I assumed, I really did, I assumed that I was going to play more and going to play a more prominent role on the Magic than I did my rookie year. And I, looking back, my work did not reflect that assumption. Uh, in other words, I, I didn't prepare that way. I just assumed something was going to happen. It was a mistake on my part. And I played, I believe, eight minutes a game In other words, I played, and we were a good team, so I played in sort of garbage time or if, you know, there was really, really, really bad foul trouble. Sometimes Stan would put me in for like the last minute and a half of the second quarter or, I'd you know, I'd get in garbage time if either we were up up or down. I'd get to play the last eight or nine minutes of the game. So I I learned that that year to never assume anything, never assume something's going to happen. And so my mindset going into a, a free agent year, a contract year, is to sort of fight and, and recognize that there is no guarantee that I would have a job next summer. And so my, my goal from a, on a personal level is you know, to put myself in a position to have a job. The second part about, about being a free agent is like when you play on a really good team, and I think we're a really good team, and you're obviously you're playing in a team sport – like you can't put your your individual stats and your individual needs in front of the team. In, in other words, you can't make it about yourself. So I, I think for me, like my mindset, number one, is to fight for my job. And number two, it's like do what you've always done, which is try to help your team win. That's always sort of been my mindset. And 
if I do those two things, then you know I think the rest of it uh, will take care of itself, and hopefully next summer um, I'll have a job. And whether that's you know with the Clippers or another team, I hope they have a job. You know, as it pertains to the Clippers uh, specifically, because obviously some Clippers fans have asked me about you know coming back here. You know, I would just say that I love being here. I love playing here. You know, this has by far been just you know on a personal level like my favorite years of my career. And that's saying something because I love my time in Orlando. Um, but this has been sort of the best three years up to this point of my career. And so, you know, obviously you want continuity. Um, you want, you know, a comfort level of where you're playing. And if you're playing for a great coach and you're playing with great teammates, like all those things will certainly factor into free agency. And, and, and I also... I know this now because having been through it the last time I was a free agent, like I recognize that, you know, free agency is such a long way off. So much can change. So much can happen uh, over the course of the next eight or nine months um, that you can't, you can't really think about that. You have to focus on the, the present. And, you know, that starts for us on Thursday against Portland and we'll have 80, 81 more games where I got to focus on those games. Like the, the free agency thing is so, so far away. You know, you, I can't skip a hundred steps to get there. <laughs> I got, you know what I mean? I got to, I got to focus on, on doing my job and doing it at a very high level. The other thing with being a free agent, obviously, is how you prepare for a contract year, or a, a, you know, a, a free agency year. And I, I feel like, there's a lot of players that maybe prepare differently for a contract year. I'm going to get in really good shape or I'm going to play hard. I'm going to cut this out. I'm going to for me, I feel like every year I kind of assess like, how can I get better? And whether it's a contract year or not, you know, this summer was no different. And I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but I went to P3, which is a, a performance training facility in Santa Barbara. They, they give you assessments. They do these biomechanical testing on you. And they, they assessed me. They gave me this program. I stuck to the program all summer. And I really believe it was beneficial. My, my body feels uh, really, really good. In fact, it's, it's the best it's felt um, since the summer before I got to the Clippers. And of, and, of course, my first year with the Clippers, I was injured for a large part of the season. So I feel like with the work that I did this summer, I'm in a great, great place. Uh, the other thing with the work I did this summer was, you know, just being older, you know, being 32. I feel like you have to be smarter you maybe have to do things just a little bit differently. And that's really what my focus was this summer is just getting better. I'm just going to be honest, like at 32, with my sort of given natural ability and given athleticism, you know, I, I, it's, I'm not going to make like huge sort of gains. Uh, but for me, any little advantage I can get, I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to take. And that's really, well, of course, within the rules, but any little advantage I can get, I'm, I'm definitely going to look to, to take. And, and so, for me, a lot of that is training, the way that I rest, the way that I eat, the way that I prepare, the extra work, cold tubbing, all that stuff really goes into, you know, my my preparation, not only for the season, but during the season. Speaking of routine and speaking of preparation, I got a great question from a Twitter user, Ty Pape, at T underscore Swizz 23. We've already done a whole thing on emails from the 90s. Uh, I'm not going to do usernames on Twitter, but Ty Pape, let's let's get a better handle than that. Okay. Uh, the question was great, though. 
The question was, do you ever get bored doing the same routine every day? The answer is absolutely. Uh, <laughs> there are moments during the summer. There are moments during the season. It's, it's not even boredom. It's just the task of shooting, the task of sometimes putting your socks on and your game shoes on. It's just so habitual, um, it, it becomes mundane a little bit. Um, so it, it's just so repetitive. Um, I mean, if you think about the, the act of shooting, where let's say you're just standing in one spot and you're shooting and you're catching the ball, you're jumping, you're bringing your elbow up, you're following through, the ball goes through the net, you land. Like to do that hundreds and hundreds of times a day, day after day after day after day, yeah, the, the repetition part gets a little boring. Having said that, the, the competition part, in other words, when you walk out, you go to the jump circle at the start of the game, and you line up next to the guy you're going to go against that night, and you get those butterflies, that part of it is never, ever boring. That part of it is why we play. I mean, that's the part that you you do all of the sort of repetitive tasks over and over again so that you can get to the game. You can't skip steps. I mean, uh, some another another user asked me about sort of the process and how I, I talk about the process a lot, but I think that's the one thing that, I've learned as a professional athlete that maybe I didn't quite understand as an amateur athlete in college or in high school is just how much you have to embrace the process to be really, really good and to, to compete at a high level. I mean, Joel Embiid from the Sixers, right? That's his middle name this year. He, he jokes about it all the time because of uh, you know, Sam Hinkie talking about the process in Philly, but the, the process of being an athlete and just all that goes into it is, is really what is required to be great. So yeah, there are boring moments. All right, we're going to get right back to this question and answer session, but give me a minute to tell you about SeatGeek. As a lot of you may know, buying tickets online for sports and concerts has been a confusing process for a long time. But SeatGeek is different. They've come along and created an amazing app and website that makes it easier than ever for fans to buy and sell tickets. SeatGeek is always the first place I go to to look for tickets to a game or concert. This past weekend, my brother-in-law was celebrating his 40th birthday in Chicago. The Cubs happened to be playing my Dodgers, so I got them tickets to the game. I used the SeatGeek app. It was seamless easy as always. Everything about SeatGeek is designed to make life easier for sports and music fans. SeatGeek does all the price comparison for you by searching multiple ticket sites and ensuring that you get the best possible deal. And SeatGeek wants to help you get the most bang for your buck. That's why every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value. You'll immediately see any underpriced seats and be able to find the best deals that fit your budget. Best of all, my listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get your $20 rebate on tickets, download the SeatGeek app, go to the Settings tab, and click Add a Promo Code. Enter promo code JJ. SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code JJ today. All right, let's get back to the Q&A. A non-basketball question, finally. Shane C. Foster, whose username is Shane C. Foster 12 Shout out to Shane C. Foster for having a great username. He asks, what's your favorite place to travel and where do you want to go that you haven't been yet? It's a great question. And I think 
I'm always interested in doing things that uh, maybe I haven't done before. If anyone's ever read the book Into the Wild, and it's about a guy who basically gives up all the trappings of modern life and he moves out in the middle of nowhere to Alaska and he, he tries to live by himself and he tries to live this this very, very simple life. He ends up dying and the great writer John Krakow wrote a book called Into the Wild about this guy. His name is Christopher McCandless. And Christopher McCandless has this has this great, great quote. He says, The joy of life comes from our encounters with new experiences. And hence, there is no greater joy than to have an endlessly changing horizon for each day to have a new and different sun. I think that's a really interesting quote. It's a really interesting mindset. I I don't necessarily completely agree with it because I I do like to have routine. I do think having a home is good and being with family is good and all that. But the idea of sort of a new horizon and trying new things, that's always excited me. The older I've got, the more I've wanted to sort of get out of my comfort zone and get out of my bubble um, because I feel like part of it was how I was raised and I feel like I was raised in a little bit of a bubble. So in terms of travel, I think for me, like, I really would like to go to Peru and Chile. And I've been to Argentina and Brazil before, but I'd love to go back there as an adult. I went uh, once when I, to Argentina when I was in college and then to Brazil when I was in high school, both for basketball. So I didn't really get to experience all of that. So I'd love to go to South America. The very, very top of my bucket list of places I want to go is Patagonia, which is the southern tip of South America. And just I, I would love to go there and even, you know, just maybe even by myself and just kind of cruise, uh, maybe with one or two people and just, you know, explore a little bit. Uh, so that's really exciting to me. Um, the other thing would be like Southeast Asia. Um, you know, I, I, I've always wanted to go to Thailand, uh, Vietnam. Indonesia, Bali, that whole area. So anywhere like that, um, this kind of just uh, maybe a little off the beaten path. Uh, Greenland, Iceland, uh, maybe someday go to Antarctica and and wear awesome puffer coats from the North Face. Um, just stuff like that. Uh, of places I've been, man, like I love, I mean, I love going to Europe. I love European cities. My favorite place that I've ever traveled is, is Positano on the Amalfi Coast. Um, there's a hotel there that Chelsea and I have been to we went there on our honeymoon and we've been back twice uh, we just love and then you know paris london um barcelona those are all amazing cities uh the other thing that chelsea and i uh in regards to travel decided like five years ago was we should probably explore our own country and that's something we've tried to do a ton and this summer was pretty awesome um we didn't leave the state of california um, because Chelsea was pregnant and Zika virus was everywhere. And so, you know, we couldn't really travel for long stretches, uh, for like 12 to 15 hour flights. So we really couldn't go overseas and, you know, to go South, we'd run into Zika. So we we couldn't go to Mexico or the Caribbean or anything like that. So we stayed in California and we went to Big Sur. We did Santa Barbara twice. Uh, we went to Carmel, I did a weekend in San Diego. We, of course, spent a ton of time in, in Los Angeles. We live in the South Bay, so we were at the beach. And, and you, you, just, you really appreciate California and just the awesome state that it is. I read somewhere like it takes like 30 years to actually experience all of California. Like it, it, There's so many places just in our own state that I haven't been. 
Um, so there's some other places in the U.S. that I want to go. I know that was a long-winded answer, but travel actually really excites me. And going back to the Christopher McCandless quote, a new horizon excites me. So, something new. I, I don't ever want to feel like my life is just like static and it's the same again and again. I, I, I want some variation uh, and, and some new things in my life. That's just, I guess it's kind of how I'm wired. All right. Another question. This one's from Forrest Krim, whose username is Krim Forrest. All right. Maybe a pun, maybe a little play on words there. Uh, but nonetheless, a nice username. Uh, his question was, what is the most challenging part of being a professional athlete? So I think that is a tough question to answer because it's different for every guy. If you're a, a younger guy who's 19 or 20, and I know I experienced this too, I think the toughest part uh, of being a professional athlete is adjusting to the travel and adjusting off the court by learning to say no to people. And that's something that I think every athlete has to go through. Uh, they have to learn how to say no. Um, and not just no to like family members who want money. I don't mean it just that way, but just no in terms of, you know, not don't take every single endorsement deal. Don't take every single appearance. Learning to say no to family members or even people wanting to come visit or people wanting you to come out with you. Let's socialize. Like th there's a tendency when you're a young player to say yes to everything. And you sort of forget for a second that that your job is more important and that you're, you know, you're a basketball player who gets paid to to be elite and, and, and do this at a very high level. And so I think there's like a period of time where you sort of mature and, and then you become, you know, you, you view your job as a craft and you really embrace that. So I think that's the, that's the hard part for a young player. That's the hardest part of being a, being a professional athlete is sort of adjusting to travel and then learning to say no. For me and for a lot of older players uh, and in talking with guys that have kids or have wives or have both, yeah, the hardest part is being away from your family, unequivocally. That is the hardest part of my job. It's my least favorite part of my job. I remember when Knox was born, my oldest. He's he's a little over two now. I remember thinking to myself, he was born in August, and the season was getting ready to start You know, a month and some change later. But I remember thinking to myself, man, I, I really like being around Chelsea, my wife. I really like being around my wife. And... I miss her. Like, I don't like going on the road for long trips because, you know, I, I miss her. And then I thought, like, now I've got a kid. Like, this is going to be even harder. And sure enough, it is harder. And now I've got two. And I'm getting ready to, we're getting ready to go on our first road trip, real road trip of the year to Portland. Uh, we were gone for most of November, including Thanksgiving. We play on Christmas. This is, I think, the ninth time in 11 years that I'll play on Christmas. We're gone on New Year's. Listen, it's part of our job. We got to play on New Year's. I'm just saying that is the most difficult part for me. That is the part that I dislike the most is just being away from my family. The season is is very difficult. The other part about that, I think for me at least, is even when I am home, it's hard to turn off. It seems like sort of once I get into training mode in the off season, like mid to late summer, like I uh, flip switches and I turn on and like I'm consumed uh, most of the time by basketball. And so even if I'm home, 
I hate to admit this, but it's the truth. Even if I'm home, I'm not always present. Like I'll use the example. I remember one time uh, Chelsea's parents came to visit and we went out to dinner with her parents and her aunt and I believe one one friend or something. There was like eight of us at dinner and I got through the dinner. I got through the dinner. You see where you see where my head's at? Uh, we got through the dinner and we were headed home and Chelsea was like, you didn't say anything all meal. Like, where were you? Like, what, what was your mind doing? And it was like a Saturday night. And I was like, I've got a noon game tomorrow and I've got to guard James Harden. Like, I'm literally just thinking about guarding James Harden. So for, for me, the season is sort of, it's hard because I, I, I really do love my family and I, and I love being around my family. And I, you know, especially with kids now, it's like you really, you really enjoy your kids and the time you get to spend with them. But it's hard sort of to detach from the job even when you are home. So you're either gone physically or you're home and then you have to sort of battle with turning your switch off and, and being completely present. I mean, I'm having a little bit of a therapy session right now, but it's the truth. Like that's that's really sort of the struggle that that I have to go through. Now, the flip side of it, of course, is whenever we lose, or you know, if you make it all the way to playoffs or all the way to the finals, you know, you're 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 done in May or June, and you don't have to report till the end of September. So you have three or four months there where you get to be around your kids and your wife or whoever you want to be. You get to be around whoever you want to be. You know all day long and you get to travel if you want if that's something you want to do you get to travel wherever you want there's no one telling you what to do so uh in that regard like our, our job is sweet like i'm not gonna lie our job is sweet because i i get to be around my my kids all day uh during the off season Knox and i this summer that was like the highlight of my summer was just being able to give him a tub put him to bed get up with him in the morning when he woke up from his nap on most days, I, I have a little attachment on my bike. I have a little three-speed bike, and I put I would put the attachment on my bike, and he would jump in the seat. We'd put our helmets on, and then we'd ride around Manhattan Beach, and we'd go to the park. That that I got to do that, you know, almost every day with my son this summer, and so that for me was was a highlight. But anyways, toughest part of the job for me right now, definitely travel, being away from the kids. All right, before we continue, I have to take a moment to tell you guys about Harry's razors. Listen, you want to look sharp, and one way to look sharp is to make sure you have a good shave. I know I have that great shave because I use Harry's razors. Harry's five-blade razors include a softer flex hinge for a more comfortable glide, a trimmer blade for hard-to-reach places, a lubricating strip, and a textured handle for more control when it's wet. Harry's blades are just $2 each compared to the $4 or more you'll pay at the drugstore. How are they able to do that? They own the factory in Germany where they make the blades. Harry's is so confident in the quality of their blades, they'll send you their popular free trial set, which comes with a razor, five-blade cartridge, and shaving gel. You get your free trial set when you subscribe, and you just pay $3 for shipping. And I have a special offer just for my listeners. Enter code JJ at checkout to get a post-shave balm for free with your order. Go to harrys.com, that's H-A-R-R-Y-S.com, right now and enter code JJ at checkout to claim your free trial set and post-shave balm. That's harrys.com and use the code JJ. All right, let's get back to the Q&A. All right, I got to give a shout out to Cynthia T, whose username is Cynthia. Cynthia? Cynthia T? I've always wanted to make your username into one word, Cynthia. But it is Cynthia T. Cynthia T uh, has has been a, a longtime supporter, and I know you listen to a lot of 
the JJ Reddick podcast. So I just want to give you a shout out. Thank you. Your question this week, of course, it's another non-basketball question. And of course, I got to bring this up um, because I love donuts. But your question was, what's the best kind of donut you've had and where's it's from? I fashioned myself to be a foodie. I'm not going to lie. I'm a, uh, you know, I'm a little obsessed with food, not only cooking my own food and, and making it and doing fun things in the kitchen with Chelsea, but you know, going out to eat, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun, and, and exploring L.A. has been awesome. And one of the places we found in L.A. is Sidecar Donuts. I think I've mentioned them on the podcast before. Sidecar Donuts, they're in Santa Monica. I believe they have one in Orange County as well, but the, the, the main one that I go to is in, um, in Santa Monica. They have like eight or nine donuts usually, but they have a donut called the Butter and Salt Donut. Now, I know that sounds weird, but it's a cake donut as opposed to, uh, you know, like a Krispy Kreme is like a yeast donut, right? The fillings, you know, sort of, you know, yeasty. This is more of a, a cake donut, and um, it tastes like butter and salt, and it, it literally tastes like heaven. I mean, I don't know how else to describe it. And then a variation of that, they have like, you know, chocolate, huckleberry all in that sort of same cake donut format so that's the best i've ever had i know i've mentioned voodoo donuts on here before uh everybody talks about blue star donuts i've yet to give those a try but i hear they're amazing when i was like not a kid but when i was in high school i had a friend named bryce gannon and i would go to his house after school sometimes before basketball practice or uh you know if we were if we were going to hang out uh like on the weekend we'd always sort of meet up at his house and his mom was so kind to me, and she would always have Krispy Kreme glazed donuts and a glass of whole milk for me. And I would eat like three or four glazed donuts and then whole milk, and and then I'd go to practice, oddly enough, or I'd you know go hang out, you know, go to a movie or whatever. And uh, and so my love of donuts started at a young age, and 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 for me, you know, if if donuts, I like when a dessert menu comes and I'm out to dinner. If donuts are on the menu, I'm going to order the donuts. If donuts are not on the menu, I'm not ordering dessert. That's how dedicated I am. Donuts are my, my weakness. They're my weakness, absolutely. And, and sidecar butter and salt is the best I've ever had. Here's a serious question. Uh, this is from another uh, longtime supporter, Buck Ramen. I don't know. I follow you on Twitter, but I'm not exactly how to pronounce your name. Apologies. B-U-Q-R-A-M-E-N. Buck Ramen. Uh, my guy, I know you're a UT fan. Your question was, you've mentioned loving the process, never arriving and always becoming, but how do you handle falling short of perfection? In other words, competition is big for you. How do you deal with falling short of your goals, in parentheses, titles, repetitively? That's a great question, and it's a hard question to answer. There is a level of of frustration that is in the back of my mind at all times because I did not win a championship at Duke. It's it's something that I still think about. When I first left Duke, it didn't bother me necessarily that I didn't win a championship. Um, you know, I, I, I accomplished, I felt like I accomplished a lot at Duke uh, individually and I played on some great teams. We made a Final Four. We won three ACC championships. We won a ton of games. You know, we were ranked number one at one point in time every year I was there so I was always on good teams there and then you get to the NBA and it's exciting it's new uh, but as I've gotten older and I've reflected back on my my Duke career and I think too as you get older and you you haven't won an NBA championship you actually start 
you know, you start thinking about it. Like, am I ever going to win a championship? Am I ever going to get to experience that with a group of guys and, and, and being a part of a, a championship team? And so it's something that I think about a lot. And, and how do I deal with it? Um, well, number one, you don't really have a choice but to deal with it. You don't have a, a choice. You can't just, like, stop playing. You can't just, like, give up. All right, I'm going to stop working. I haven't won yet. But I, I think the, the other thing is, like, there's always sort of – there's always self-reflection. And I've been in the NBA – I get this is my 11th year. So, so 10 times, you know, I've been in the playoffs and not won a championship. And of those 10 times, I would say probably eight of them ended in tears. You know, teams that I felt like were really special, whether I thought we had a chance to win a championship or not, that's different. But teams that I really enjoyed being a part of and really felt like connected with, I, I would cry in the locker room after, you know, whatever, whatever loss there was. And there would be just this sense of failure. It's an overwhelming sense. I mean, even last year in Portland, Jamal and I talked about this the day after on the podcast. Like, it's overwhelming the emotion that ha- happens. You invest so much and then you get to that that end and it's so final for that team. And so it, it's, it's emotional. And, um, but there's, there's this moment like where you self reflect and it's, it, there's the disappointment, there's the emotion of it ending, but there's a moment of self reflection where you're like, okay, what can I do better the next time? And that's, what's sort of kept me going, I guess, is like, is like the hope, the sort of perpetual hope that there will be a next time. There will be another trip to the playoffs. There'll be another time where I'm on a contender. There'll be another time where I get to, you know, hopefully play for a championship or be on a team that has a a chance to win a championship. And so I think to answer your question, you know, specifically, it's like, it's self-reflection. Like, how can I be better? And always sort of working for that. And then the other part about it is, is like, I guess whether we want to admit it or not, there's 29 teams that are not going to win. It's a one in 30 chance. And and really it's probably a higher or lower percentage rather, you know, for some teams it's a much lower percentage because they're not even actively trying to win games. But so it's a, it's a long shot every season. It's a long shot. And, you know, I feel like I'm very fortunate over the last few years and this year included to be on one of those sort of five or six teams that has a chance. Now, you know, I'm not going to get into, you know, I know there's some Clipper haters out there, but I'm not going to get into, our realistic chances or not. I think we have a chance and, and then really that's all you can ask for. So, you know, you, you, you feel fortunate about that. All right. This is from Lou Shaheen, whose username is Lebby boy, L E B B Y boy. Last question. Uh, <laughs> what do you tell the barber when you go get a haircut? We need to know if you haven't listened to the Jeremy Lynn podcast, I recommend you listen to the first like 12 minutes because all Jeremy and I talk about is hair and who has the best hair in the NBA. No, I did not make my own top four list. Jeremy did not put me in the top four either, but uh, I do get asked a lot about who my barber is, what I ask for, et cetera, et cetera. I'm really actually tired of my haircut. I I feel like I've had the same haircut now for three or four years and I feel like I need to switch it up. But uh, what I basically, I go to the barber and I say, give me a high and tight fade. Um, sometimes I shave, I have them shave a side part in the side of my head. And then I just tell them, yeah, just like kind of push it to the side. So I, I side part it. 
And, um, you know, my length's not great right now, but, you know, it just kind of flows over the top of my head and I put a little product in it. People always ask me, like, how does your hair stay so still during the game? I mean, I just, it's just a matte texturizing paste. So if you, if you're going to the gym and you, 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 you know, yeah, you got it. All right. We're going to do two more questions. All right. So podcast related question from Doug Stamper. I think that's a reference to house of cards because your username is Goss Jeremy. But uh, your question is dream guest you want on the pod and dream pod you want to go on. Uh, dream guest for the pod, man. Um, I think I, I would probably say Obama would be awesome to talk to. He would probably be uh, definitely in my top three. But right now, and, and partially because of just the antics that were displayed the other day uh, in the White House press briefing room. But right now, I think my dream pod guest would be Bill Murray. And I just think he'd be amazing to talk to. I'm such a huge fan of his, his movies, his sense of humor. Uh, recently, I posted on Twitter and Instagram a, a picture of uh, a book that just came out called The Tao of Bill Murray. It's all the ridiculous stories that have circulated over the years about his, his randomness. So yeah, I think Bill Murray would be the dream guest for me. And dream pod you want to go on? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, something that's non-sports related. Um, I mean, I guess Tim Ferriss. I think that's like Tim Ferriss does an awesome, awesome podcast. You know, I you know a lot of the podcasts I listen to aren't necessarily like uh, interview style podcasts. So you know, I love Gladwell's podcast, uh, Revisionist History, and then I, I've gotten recently I've gotten into the Bowery Boys. They do like uh, these awesome podcasts on um, the history of New York City. Obviously, I, I have no, um, I have no skin in the game there. I mean, they can't. I, I don't. I don't know anything about the history of New York City, um, other than it was founded by the Dutch. But that's that's also a, a cool podcast that maybe uh, maybe someday I'll I'll go on. I don't know. All right, last question. This is from Mark Sanghoon Kim. Chick Fil A or In and Out? If you had to choose. And also, what would your last meal on earth be? Last meal on earth, uh, the French laundry tasting menu, no question. I'm going high class, total bourgeois, I know, but definitely French laundry tasting menu. Chick-fil-A or In-N-Out? It's a very interesting question. I've lived in California now for over three years, and ah, I'm going to say In-N-Out's a little overrated, maybe a lot overrated. I think there's a lot of better burger options out there. Chick-fil-A, definitely over In-N-Out. I happen to love Chick-fil-A. It's one of my vices. And they just put a new Chick-fil-A by our practice facility. And Chelsea was pregnant this summer. And that was like her her sort of craving. So, of course, you know, I, I got really, really deep into some Chick-fil-A original chicken sandwiches. I'm not going to lie. Uh, so Chick-fil-A for sure over in and out. All right, guys, that's it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick. I'd really like to thank today's guest, myself. <laughs> Remember to subscribe and listen to new and archived episodes wherever you listen to the podcast. And be sure to subscribe to The Vertical Podcast with Woj and The Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, and you can now hear The Vertical Podcast Network every weekday at 3 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Satellite Radio on Sirius Channel 214, XM Channel 203, and on the Sirius XM app on Channel 967. My podcast airs on Sirius XM every Monday and Thursday, The Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix every Tuesday, and The Vertical Podcast with Woj every Wednesday and Friday. You can always tweet me at JJ Reddick for any questions and comments. 
I'd also like to thank our sponsors, Blue Apron, Harry's Razors, and SeatGeek. Be sure to support them the way they support us here at the Vertical Podcast. I'll catch you next week. This has been a digital media production. Find your voice.